This is Mission.org. A lot of times customers can't tell you what they need, but they can certainly tell you what their challenges are. And it's up to you as a company to understand like, okay, how do I connect myself with that challenge? How do I connect my messaging, my brand, my offering with the problem and potential solution that we can provide? Do you really understand how your customers experience your product, website, app, or service? Janelle Estes would guess that while you probably think you do, you likely actually don't. Janelle is the Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, a human insights company powering 50% of the top global brands. So what exactly does this human insights company do? User Testing pairs companies up with real-life users who test the UI experience of apps, websites, and the like. The company prides itself on helping companies experience what their customers experience. Janelle joins the podcast to talk customer expectations, why business metrics don't always align with these expectations, and shares tips and tricks for companies looking to get honest, relevant, and applicable feedback on their UX. This is the insight you can only get right here on Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. I'm excited to take you on this ride. Now let's get into it. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. So Janelle, first question. A lot of marketers, we've got a a stat here, it's the 72% of marketers say that meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year plus ago. Uh, How has this played out for you? What are you seeing in the space? And what is kind of your team doing to tackle the consistent challenge of rising customer expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that customer expectations continue to grow year over year. And with this shifting environment with COVID, with work from home, with everybody being sort of, you know, not connected in person, right? Everybody's sort of connecting with each other through this digital world. It's introduced this crazy acceleration of shifting customer demands and priorities. So if you think about sort of the trajectory of customer expectations, every year they grow, every year they shift and change a little bit. And it's kind of actually easier for companies to predict what those things are going to be and and sort of, you know, gather insight around, you know, what are the shifting 
expectations and, and what should we do about it? It's almost like these things have become more predictable per se. However, when you introduce the last year or two and a complete seismic shift in how we work, how we engage with companies, how we engage with other people, it's nearly impossible to predict what those shifting expectations are. It's like we've built all these data models and, and ways to understand shifting customer behavior and we're able to predict, right? You know, back in when, when things were more like quote unquote normal. But now when you introduce this totally different world, it's like none of that, none of those data models, none of that works anymore. You actually have to get out there and truly get ahead of, you know, what the customer expectations are and, and what the shifting demands are. So yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by that statistic. 72% people or marketers saying it's in the last year, it's been hard to keep up with those shifting demands, you know? And I think in terms of how we've been thinking about getting ahead of that, I mean, back to my comment around all of the data in the world can tell you kind of what's happening, but a lot of the data that we're collecting and the companies are collecting is what we call data exhaust. Like it's kind of, you know, it's what happened, right? Versus how to predict the future. And to my original point, I think a big part of this, of being able to make that connection with your customers and truly understand what their expectations are and meet those needs is to actually engage with them, to understand, to have one-on-one, human-to-human conversations about their world, how they're perceiving all the change, what their needs are. Sometimes customers, and actually a lot of times, customers can't tell you what they need, but they can certainly tell you what their challenges are And it's up to you as a company to understand like, okay, how do I connect myself with that challenge? How do I connect my messaging, my brand, my offering with the problem uh, and potential solution that we can provide that's related to these new and, you know, new and I guess, future looking opportunities, if you will. Mm. That was a mic drop answer, Janelle. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed that one. Um, and you talked, you, you commented on this. You know how companies, you know, a lot of brands have kind of over-indexed on the data and and how important it is to get to the people behind the data and how the past couple of years, like you said so eloquently, has accelerated that. And and it's interesting now seeing some of these brands. We've had many of them, you know, come on this show of how they're now kind of having to, in some ways, kind of slow down to speed up again of like, wait, hold on a second. Like we have to actually connect with our customers now. And oh, by the way, we have to do it really authentically. Um, I feel like, and that doesn't seem to change, but it seems to get more and more important. Yes, absolutely. Cool. On this idea of, you know, metrics, and and again, as a large percentage, we have a stat here from Salesforce says 78% of marketing organizations have changed or reprioritize metrics due to the pandemic, due to the changes in the world. What has become the most valuable metric for you? What are you seeing in terms of the a, a really valuable metric for you and the team or just customers or just the landscape in general in this new era? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I think many companies, you know, look to the standard metrics that you you look to when you're running a business, right? And you're trying to sort of be successful, right? It's about revenue, growth, cost savings and efficiency, profitability. The challenge with those metrics is that they are so business-centric or company-centric. It's all about you and the way you're performing. When the reality is you've got to sort of turn those metrics, it, it, it has to be more outside in. Many companies are driven from an inside-out perspective And when you're built that way and your teams are structured around those metrics, it's very easy to stay focused on yourself 
And what happens is we start to lose sight of what our customers are trying to accomplish, what our customers need. We lose sight of delivering on what the customer expectations are. Back to the question we just talked about. You know, there's a reason why there's a struggle around uh, understanding people's and customers' expectations is because we're not being deliberate about it. We're not, we're not, you know, running our business. Most companies are not running their business truly around the customer. So when you ask me the metric, I mean, I see some metrics like CSAT and NPS and some of those that are sadly the ones that most companies kind of look to and track to try to understand, you know, how is the customer experience being delivered? That being said, you know, I feel like we could have an entire conversation around the NPS measure and maybe a separate episode about how it's a challenging way to gauge and understand your customer experience. But the reality is there's actually not a great replacement for that at the moment. And so the power behind NPS, however, is not just measuring it, which many, many companies do. I think nearly every company I engage with are looking at NPS at an executive level. They're doing sort of readouts at board meetings that capture you know, how we performed last quarter versus this quarter versus our competition. The power behind NPS, though, is when you do notice your score in a place you don't like it, or you do notice that your competitors are outpacing you, that's where you start to build those true customer. uh, You start to engage with customers on that human level, right? Understanding like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And most importantly, what's the action that we need to take to make a shift? So when you ask me about the metrics, I mean, I think Certainly uh, looking at more customer-facing metrics, metrics that capture the actual customer experience are should be right on par with the metrics that you're looking at as a business in terms of you know, the traditional revenue growth profitability type measures. Mm, that's great. Metrics that capture the customer experience. On that note, um, how, how can brands effectively connect with customers to determine whether or not these experiences are meeting the mark? Yeah, good question. So there are many ways to do it. You know, it and it really does depend on the question that you're trying to answer. When I'm first working with companies that maybe are just starting on this journey, maybe this isn't a practice they've built into their muscle or it's something that they're just starting to explore, I recommend they actually start with looking at what are the top three things, five things, three to five things that your customers need to be able to do when they engage with you whether that's finding information about your product or solution, whether that's actually going through and purchasing something and converting, or maybe it's support material or finding the nearest location. There are key things that your customers need to be able to do when they engage with you. And the idea is that you're looking at those and you're trying to understand, you know, if I send 10 people through that experience and I watch what their experience is like, I can see essentially through their eyes and how they engage with me and and what questions they have and what's easy to use and what's hard to use. You know, if you're even just primarily focusing on those top key flows and you test them regularly, right? So user testing is a solution and it's the company that I that I work for, but there are also other ways to to do this. But the idea is that you should be able to observe people, see the world through their eyes, and then that will help you understand what's working, what's not, and what you can do about it to make it better. It almost sounds like, well, you know, no kidding. Like that doesn't sound like a super novel idea. Like let me watch my customers use my experience. But you would be surprised how many companies and teams don't do it. And so (laughs) when they're trying to 
improve their customer experience and ultimately improve how their business is performing, this is a key sort of weapon, if you will, in your in your arsenal of of how you can go about approaching in, this in a more in a way where you're you're able to make educated, smart decisions based on what you observe and how people interact with you. What are maybe a couple of brands or any that you've seen and engaged with in the past, you know, couple of years that are doing this right? You know, that that double down on customer experience and really, you know, turn the ship in the direction that needed to be turned to be able to to meet their customers in this kind of new era. And maybe some examples of how maybe a story around that be cool too. Great question. Yeah, I have a couple to share. So the first one is more kind of an empathy-led organization. So if you've followed Microsoft, for example, uh, over the years, you know, uh, Satya Nadella came on board and really pushed this mandate of, of empathy. And empathy not just in, you know, empathy to improve your, your personal life, but more empathy for your customers and understanding, like, what are the core unmet needs and opportunities that we can address? And I mean, I don't know if if how much exposure you have to Microsoft products. If you all remember sort of what was the launch of one of their operating systems that didn't go so well. I mean, you're able actually able to see the shift and the improvement of the actual experiences that Microsoft has delivered. Now, it hasn't been something that happened overnight. It's a progression over time. And it starts with sort of that executive kind of sponsor at the top, pushing teams to do this, making it part of their daily uh, routines and, and patterns and behaviors, but you know it certainly has paid dividends for them in terms of shifting that. Now, that is what I would consider to be a very sort of mature organization that is sure kind of really adopted this as part of what they do. Not every company is there, and so when you're starting kind of small, or again, you're just sort of starting on this journey. Another company that we've engaged with uh, is AAA. So, you know, AAA is yeah. like over 100 years old, yep. um, not a digital first company. I think I still pay my triple. I, I have a AAA membership because my parents put me on it when I was in yep. college and I've yep. kept it. And I think yep. it's the only bill that I actually still mail, <laughs> like put a stamp on it <laughs> and mail in. I've since learned there's a digital way to do that, by the way. Um, but we were working with uh, their design team. And I love this story because they had a page where they were trying to capture new customers. And they had three different plans. And the plans were very price-driven, right? It was sort of like, that was what was in your face. It was like, this was X dollars a month, you know, a little bit more a month. And then like sort of the top tier program is, you know, the most expensive per month. So it was three different um, subscription types. And they were just tiered by price. And underneath that, it had all the data and features and what was included. And, you know, the the team over there was really interested in trying to understand, like, how can we make this better for our customers and in turn increase the number of people that convert and choose to be customers? And so the the team was uh, traditionally tinkering with price. Like the, the the whole hypothesis was like, oh, maybe the price point is like too high or 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 maybe it's too low and it's turning people off. Like, I don't know. There's there's a million reasons and why you could sort of hypothesize about why this wasn't performing. When the team actually put customers through the experience, they learned that when they were looking at a service like this, they were so not driven by price. They were actually driven more by, you know, safety, trust. If I'm you know, in a pinch, like 
can I trust that you're going to show up? Can I trust that you're going to help me and resolve my situation? And it was a much more like emotional driven decision versus price conscious. And so the team, you know, if, if you can imagine like a, a typical optimization team, right, or somebody who's looking at that page is probably going to be playing around with colors, price points, um, the design, right? Like which of the plans is going to try to pop up off the page to grab your attention. But the reality was that the, the team really went in and tried to understand like, what are the emotional drivers? How are people actually making decisions about this? And then how can we pull those learnings back into the design? So that's exactly what they did. They created this page where they were presenting the three plans, but it was all driven by what the customer actually cared about. So really doubling down on the features around reliability and safety and trust. And secondarily, there was price. And they put these two pages out in an A-B test. And I don't know the exact statistics, but the long and short of it is that the, the page that was more driven around what the customer really cares about when they're making that decision, that one completely outperformed the price-driven one. And so, you know, this is just an example of some of the power of doing this work. Uh, and I think companies that, as I mentioned before, are just starting focusing on those key flows. So... Janelle, what are what are some best practices for phrasing, positioning questions to customers to avoid bias? Yeah, so great question. And, you know, just by way of understanding my background a little bit better, um, you know, prior to being at user testing, I actually uh, spent most of my career in the research space. So if you want to sometime talk about asking bias questions and best practices for, for re- how to structure research questions, I'm your gal. But the long and short of it is that you really have to think about how you're phrasing, right? And there are some like cardinal rules around asking people for feedback. But the most important tip I would give you is that when you put something in front of people, ask them to engage with it and don't try to lead them right? So watch what they're drawn to naturally. Watch how they initially interact with a design or a message or even capture, you know, what is their facial reactions when they're reading something for the first time? Are they leaning in? Are they are they sitting back? Or do they look like they're drawn into the message or the experience or do they seem overwhelmed? I mean, these are all subjective things that you have to sort of evaluate as you're observing. But I would say the big part is about not trying to shape the feedback that you're getting, right? You could plop somebody on a homepage and say, okay, so uh, tell me what you think about the image on the homepage. And it's like, well, okay, that's helpful, but it might not be the first thing that people are drawn to. And so you're not naturally getting their sort of off the cuff feedback. Now, of course, you're going to have more pointed questions. And once you get into, you know, more of the conversation, it's about making sure you broaden the question enough so you're not sort of prompting people for the answer that you're looking for, right? So, you know, a question is, do you think this is easy to use? I mean, that's a question that when people are engaging with a digital experience, that's a key question they have. Or uh, the, the other one is my favorite is like, how likely are you to purchase this, right? And it's like those types of questions, you know, you're obviously going to get, yes, it is easy to use or yeah, I think I would buy this. Um, but the reality is that people, I mean, it's not anything they're not being malicious or, you know, Ill, there's no ill intent involved, but it's just the way that the mind works, right? It's, you know, I'm going to answer the way that I, you know, believe uh, you want me to answer type of thing. So when you are wanting to ask those types of questions, though, 
it's about keeping it much broader, right? So tell me about your experience using the the you know website or app today. What was easy? What was hard? Um, keeping it broader uh, instead of getting right in and asking, you know, basically somebody a yes or no question. And actually, that's a really good tip is to avoid yes or no questions in these conversations. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and and again, you're it's like you're leading me right to the next question, which is around you know gathering this feedback. Like companies, how can companies you know in 2022 gather feedback on experiences without sacrificing customer privacy? Yeah, good question. I mean, if you've been following any of the legislation, and I'm positive you have been, I mean, people and consumers are so particular and so aware of how companies are tracking them and gathering their data. And they're recognizing that they don't have all of the information about how that data is being used. And without that, and and articulated in a very clear way by the company that's tracking, people are just inherently really hesitant to agree to that. I mean, how many times have you gotten that alert on your phone? Like, hey, we want to track you, what you're doing. Are you okay with that? Like, no. Right, right, right. <laughs> who says yes? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Um, actually, I would love to understand more about people who say yes to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's not me. And I recognize that, you know, there are people that are very different than I am. And so it would be actually a fascinating research study to better understand that. But the reality is that when you are sort of engaging with your customers and trying to understand their behaviors and and how they're engaging with you, companies really start to have to rely more on this level of opt-in feedback and this notion that it's not that customers don't want to provide their feedback, right? It's just that they don't want to be tracked in a way that they truly don't understand, you know, what the company is actually doing with their data. And so we talk to many consumers who are more than willing to provide feedback to companies in a way where they get to sort of decide how they want to show up. They get to decide what information that they want to share. And that is truly about making that authentic human-to-human connection with a consumer. You're going to get much richer data than, you know, just sort of tracking the people who allow you to track them, which is likely a very small percentage of your customer base, right? And then you get to the question of like, okay, so we're only getting data from people who have agreed to be tracked. What are we missing? You're not getting the whole picture because there's this whole big chunk of people that have decided not to let you do that. And so you know very little about them and their behavior. And so that's why this type of work is so important because it gives you that fuller perspective. Hmm. Now I want to I want to shift a little bit to kind of to to you Janelle. It seems like your your dance with customer experience started at least on paper started at when you were at Forrester. Yes. Um which is amazing and and then you of course worked at some great places. You ended up at Nielsen and spent almost a decade there, uh, you know. So just in terms of the the dance with CX for you. Like what, what you know, there what was the moment in time for you that said, "Wow, like I'm really fascinated by customer experience because now you know you've clearly mapped an incredible career in that space but take us back to the genesis of that for you what was it that kind of led you yeah to kind of dive into CX in the early days sure so uh, it was at Forrester ah. so when I graduated from Bentley University which was Bentley College at the time it's a business focused school there you know accounting finance economics you know the big four comes and recruits you know people graduating you know their senior year 
I didn't graduate with a business degree. I intended to, but it didn't quite happen that way. Um, I had a degree in information design and corporate communication, and I could not find a job when I graduated because there weren't jobs in UX and customer experience at the time, which was sort of like the, that program was sort of like one of the early programs that was sort of centered around this. That being said, I landed at Forrester. Um, it's not in my resume. I probably should actually add it because um, I just put in the the last role I had there. But the very first role I had, which I was in for a year, was customer service um, specialist. So I would be answering ah. the phone for people who were having trouble logging in. Front lines. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't find an article they're looking for. You know, it's not a cheap subscription to, mm-hmm. to be a Forrester customer. And so, you know, fielding all of those, those questions and concerns and frustrations. And I remember there was a woman who ran the website and she would take me out to lunch on a monthly basis. And this was like before you could actually, you didn't have systems that like, you know, tracked all the things that people were calling in about. It was like very early days of data. Um, but she used to take me out to lunch every month and she'd ask me like, so what are, what are people calling about? Like, what are you hearing? Like basically asking for trends and what she's hearing about and using that information to create a better website experience for customers. And there was something about that experience that really stood out to me. It's sort of like, oh, this is so interesting. You can take this feedback and you can address it and then it's fixed at scale, right? It makes my life easier too, because I don't have to keep answering the same question over and over again. And so that was really sort of my understanding of an early days of what really piqued my interest. After that, I went back to grad school in a program that's sort of like the intersection between how the mind works and uh, design. So how do you create experiences that are built to optimize sort of the strengths of how the mind works uh, and also minimize some of the, the challenges that you have when processing information? It was a fascinating world. Wow. Like, everything from like, you know, how you process information, like this idea of pre-attentive processing, which is all the stuff that happens subconsciously before you're even aware that you're processing anything to like how you make decisions to how you retain information. Like it is a, speaking of geeking out, like it is a, it is a fascinating world. That's amazing. I love it. Is, is there, are, is there anything else that you can share that comes up when, when, you know, someone asks you like, what's something wise that mentors taught you about CX? Like, you know, something that, that really sticks out in your maybe earlier days, or maybe it's more recent, but folks that really kind of drop these these nuggets on you that kind of shaped your perspective around customer experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting having gone through this evolution of being in this space, because when I first started, it was all about truly understanding people, right? And understanding and advocating for your customers at a very human level and saying, hey, this is like really hard for people to do. We should be doing something about this because it's causing confusion or it's you know making it more stressful than it needs to be. And it was sort of like any opportunity that you saw to make the experience better was something that you were recommending would happen, right? If you're in a role where you're capturing this feedback, like how do you feed that back into the teams that can actually go and address it? And I think I've learned, I know I've learned over time that you really have to be intentional about the feedback and and where you're advocating in order to be sort of successful in this role. Because the reality is like, there is no shortage of issues with every experience, like no design and no experience will ever be perfect. But when you are collecting this feedback, how do you then make your suggestions back to the teams in a way where you can tie that to some sort of impact, right? Because I guess this, it's somewhat of a reality, right? Is that 
although companies strive to be customer-centric and they value customer experience and see it as a key differentiator, the reality is they are really looking to invest in things and make changes to things that will essentially help them as a business. And so being very smart about what you tie yourself to, I think it's really easy for somebody in this space, myself included, to just be so fascinated by so many different things. And there's no shortage of questions to go chase down and answer. But to be effective in this role, you have to actually figure out, okay, you know, what are those key experiences? Where are the places where we really need to optimize the experience for the business to perform? And that's where I want to tie what I want to tie myself to and what I want to sort of um, you know, that's how I'm effective in a role like this. And so I don't know. It's been a little bit of a sad reality in, in a way where like you almost have to think about your work that way. Like, you know, it was like when, when I first got into this field, it was sort of like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, like this really cool area that can have massive impact on, you know, customers at scale if we do this the right way. I mean, the AAA example is a perfect example of why this work is so important. But again, the reality is like, you can't fix everything. You've got to pick and choose. And the way that you prioritize is through what the business kind of cares about. And that's been a key lesson for me in this journey. Mm, That's amazing. So it seems like you would be someone that I would want to pull into an argument between sales and marketing. You know, it's like this age old, you know, battle, if you will, between sales and marketing and aligning these things. And I think there's, you know, technology and, and data and things that support that alignment these days, but still, there's a lot of tension in that in that space, and regardless of the size of the company, it seems. And, and the question, I guess, is like, do you feel like you've kind of you have perspective? Like, do you get brought into these conversations at a leadership level of like sales and marketing? Because to me, you've got this you've got this perspective. You're you're at this intersection of how are people like experiencing a brand or the brand or, or the product or service, and and so it's it's this kind of really interesting view. And to me, that would. I don't know. It seems like it would build an interesting bridge between sales and marketing. Do you get kind of brought into those types of conversations and what's some things that have happened there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting when you think about sales and marketing and actually beyond, right? Acquisition and getting people on board and and things like that. It's a customer journey. Like it, it is like from the customer's perspective, it is one seamless experience. They don't care if marketing owns it. They don't care if sales owns it. They don't care if support owns it. It's like, this is you, this is kind of your brand. And so being able to shape that from the and taking that outside in perspective and sharing that with teams, sales leaders, marketing leaders, other leaders in the company to see, hey, you know, we're thinking about our business this way, and like it's it's almost like, um, you know, when the, when a customer has a bumpy experience with you, it's almost like they can they can see that it's so clear to them, and that it's you know. It's a disjointed experience and it's frustrating, right? But it's like, you know, um, again, they're they're expecting a single seamless experience from your company. And so providing that perspective, like, hey, here's how your customers are, uh, how their brand perception is being shaped by you and the marketing programs that you have in place. And then once they engage with us from a sales perspective, and I'm thinking B2B, but I mean, B2C is, is the same way where it's sort of like, okay, so I have this expectation of who you are. And then when I get to your experience, I'm expecting a certain thing. And if it falls down, you know, it's your opportunity to lose the customer. And so I guess the, the 
most influential or, or how I've been most influential in those conversations is actually showing leaders like, hey, this is what our customers are experiencing when they engage with us over time, all the times we touch them through marketing campaigns. And then here's what happens when they actually come to us to engage with us, you know, in a, in a deal or they want to convert to be a customer and the inconsistencies between them um, and help people prioritize and address those. Hmm. What would you say is like one one skill that you've cultivated in your career that really continues to benefit you and those around you? Uh, storytelling, hands down. Uh, and this work that we do where we bring customers to life, I mean, we call the uh, little videos that we produce of people engaging with an experience where you can hear what they're saying and you can watch what they're doing and, you know, see sort of the, the whole thing happening from the customer's perspectives. We call them customer experience narratives because those are stories. Those are stories that people can connect to. And when you watch a video of somebody struggling, that sticks with you much longer than, you know, looking at a, a pie chart or a, or a graph on a slide somewhere. And being able to tell those stories, advocate for your customers using those stories. I mean, there's a ton of research that shows, you know, how people retain information and that storytelling is way more effective than other means of communicating information. I think that that skill has served me very well in my career, telling, telling stories. Yeah. That's amazing. What do you consider, you know, the biggest challenge for, for CMOs and marketing leaders these days? I mean, we're fortunate to interview many CMOs kind of across the Fortune 1000. And so we we hear some interesting perspectives and and some of them have massive teams and some of them are, you know, centralized and decentralized and it's it's interesting all, all around. Um, but if you kind of, from your perspective, as you kind of look at the landscape, especially with the, the brands and folks that you've worked with or engaged with or observed, what would you say is is one of the biggest challenge for, for CMOs and marketing leaders these days? If you would have asked me this a couple of years ago, I might've had a different answer. <laughs> but I, I, you know, today, I think it's all about keeping up with the shifting needs and expectations that your customers have and expect from you as a brand and company. I mean, we look at some of the work that's, I mean, if you just imagine the world in the last couple of years between COVID, between uh, some of the racial injustice that's happened to now the issues in Ukraine and Russia, I mean, there is no shortage of opportunities for companies to share their positioning, take action on some of these initiatives, but it has to be done in a thoughtful way that people can sort of connect to and, and needs to feel authentic and be authentic, right? You also have to carry through with what your, your message is. And so I think that's a big part of the challenge of, you know, leading a brand and, and leading the messaging around it is sort of like, how do we show up around those issues? Because if you look at some of the recent data, I mean, people are choosing the companies that they want to engage with based on how they are reacting to some of these major societal issues. And so that's one piece. And I mean, that's just one sliver of customer expectations, right? There's the broader landscape of like, you know, how do I even want to engage with you? Do I want to engage with you on my mobile app or on my mobile phone? Do I, you know, do I want to have, you know, a cohesive experience across multiple channels and touch points? I mean, yeah, the answer is yes to that question. But I mm -hmm. mean, the, the reality is that especially with the last couple of years and all the 
the changes that are happened around us and continue to happen is that you've got to keep a pulse on what your customers want, what they need, what they expect from you as a brand and a company. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to do that when you're just looking at lagging indicators. You've got to get out in front of that. Mm. Have there been anything anything that surprised you, especially with your background, you know, in CX and, and the insights you've gathered and cultivated over the years, in terms of just buying behavior? Is there any surprising things that you that you maybe that even surprised you in the past year that were like, hmm, that's an interesting shift, or or has this all kind of been a trend towards your, you've known how people will react and respond? Yeah, the e-commerce one's fascinating to me, and one that I'm like kind of keeping a pulse on myself, right? So. When we first entered the COVID era, you know, e-commerce has been accelerating for some time. And it's been, it's sort of like that we were talking about earlier, that predictable model of every year it gets like a little, you know, the e-commerce purchasing behavior gets a little bit, you know, more active, if you will. But then when you introduce COVID, it was sort of like, you know, I think it was like five years acceleration in like one year, right? And so that did not actually surprise me. Um, I think what continues to surprise me a bit is that people are continuing with a lot of that same COVID behavior. It's like, you know, they've adopted these new ways to engage with companies. Um, An example of this is, you know, buy online, pick up in store or buy online curbside. You know, a lot of people adopted that during COVID and continued to use it now because they've developed these habits and patterns and and sort of they're, they're, it's a way of life now. And so to me, I guess I wasn't really expecting that. I was kind of thinking, you know, once the world settled down and things were, people would feel more comfortable going into stores that they might go back to the old way of doing things. But it's not, that actually hasn't been the case. And so that one's interesting to me. I mean, I understand why, right? I mean, personal experience, I started using buy online, pick up curbside, and I'm never going back inside of the store if I don't have to. Um, so I get it. I just, I was thinking even sort of like, you know, that behavior spanned like every generation. And so I was thinking maybe some generations or pockets of demographics would kind of go back to the old way, but mm. it's fascinating. Humans are fascinating beings. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Do you have any thoughts on NFTs and the metaverse and, and if they could be strategic for brands? Are you getting pulled into these conversations? And if so, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on that. Yeah, that's the uh, the the trend of 2022 is mm-hmm. you know, metaverse NFTs. You know, yeah, we have a ton of customers right now that are actually trying to figure out, you know, how do we actually show up in the metaverse? Do we show up in the metaverse? And so this goes back to uh, customer expectations and needs. You know, are you showing up in the metaverse because your top competitor is or because, you know, some executive thinks it's a good idea? Or are you showing up because your customers actually expect you to be there and then you can provide a specific value in that forum? And I think, uh, you know, that is a big piece of this whole new world. Right. It's understanding. And and honestly, people aren't going to be able to tell you at this point because most people aren't in the metaverse. And so it's early days. But when we think about the development and evolution of the space and we start to try to figure out, you know, is this the right place for us to invest our presence? Again, going back to what customers ex- expect and want from you. Now, once you're actually in the metaverse, of course, you can get feedback on what the experience is actually like and how you can optimize it. 
But I think the big piece that companies are grappling with right now is like, is this a thing that we need to be doing? I mean, certainly we're paying attention to it, but how do we how do we decide if and when we want to show up? All right. So let's get into the lightning round real quick. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We're grateful for Salesforce. And when marketers and marketing leaders think about marketing and engagement, Salesforce is certainly a leader in that space. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer, User Testing. First question is a doozy, Janelle. What's one thing that you love and appreciate about yourself? Oh, that's a... I feel like we rarely reflect on these things. That's why I threw that one in there. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the, I, what I love and respect about myself is my ability to sort of be good at a lot of different things, um, but also know the priority of those things, mm. if that makes sense. So, you know, like, like everyone else, we have jobs and careers and families and other things that we're involved in. Um, being able to have perspective on all of that, I think, is a, something that I am thankful that I have. That's great. What's your favorite day of the week? Ooh, good one. I do love Wednesday. There's something about Wednesday. Okay. Sort of like over the hump and, you know, okay. weekends upon you, that type of thing. All right. What's your favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Good question. You know, it's the one I visit all the time, which is San Francisco. Okay. There's something about that city and that area of the world that puts a little pep in your step. Okay. And it's very different from where I live, which is in Maine. Okay. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? My daughter would say talk to animals for sure. She would <laughs> want me to have that, that skill. <laughs> but I think the language one is really interesting too. I mean, I guess if I had to choose for myself, it would be the language. Okay. Um, and just the ability to communicate with, with anyone. I love it. What's your favorite holiday? I would say my favorite holiday is probably 4th of July, just being in Maine in the Northeast, just sort of like the height of summer uh, and a lot of fun things to do outside with family and friends and uh, not a lot of pressure like some of the other holidays we might have. Hmm. You're the first one that said that holiday. So I'm, I'm glad you took a minute for that one. That's good. <laughs> uh, please finish the sentence for me. Something wise my elders taught me was. To stay true to yourself. Love that. Would you rather have invisibility or super strength? Ooh, definitely invisibility. Okay. <laughs> uh, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. Okay. <laughs> if you weren't in customer experience, what would you be doing? You know, before I moved into customer experience, I actually explored a career more in the healthcare side of things. Uh, and I think there's something there about empathy and taking care of people and making sure that needs are being met, right? It's sort of like weirdly parallel to what I'm focused on now. Okay, last question. If you could go back and whisper in the ear of your younger self about being a leader and being a leader in the world that you're in now and customer experience, what would you tell yourself? I'd tell myself that, you know, your perspective is powerful and unique. Love that answer, cool. This is awesome. Um, Janelle, right at the top of the hour. Thank you so much for being here. This was, for me, an incredible way to start my day. You got the wheels turning and I'm thinking, man, I hope a bunch of our CMOs that listen will, will tune into this exceptional episode. Thanks for being here. You were incredible. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeremy. 
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.